0: We're uh, next to the last message, and you say, well, but there's two more Sundays left. Okay, so my wife and I and another individual are going to be gone all this week in Lancaster, Pennsylvania for a conference, Uh, so I will not be here next Sunday. I do have a guest speaker coming, and uh, who shall remain nameless, so don't stay home. Once you have the element of surprise, he said, Well, uh, what do do you want me to preach on? I said, Well, I'll just let the Spirit lead you, but I would suggest you not preach out of the book of Acts, okay? So uh, they've been in the book of Acts for many, many months now. Avoid that one. I'm sure the Spirit's not leading you there, right? So, yeah. Uh, We're going to be covering three chapters. Again, we're going to hit some highlights because I'm just trying to pull out a theme because the last really. Seven chapters of the book of Acts is really pretty repetitive. Um, The Apostle Paul at this point is just going through one sham trial after another. Uh, He's already been through a trial with the Sanhedrin Council, and he's going to go through three more uh, here in these uh, chapters we're going to be covering today. Uh, So I'm trying to just pull out a theme um, in these chapters like I did last week. And so the title of this message is Seizing the Moment. Seizing the moment. And what I mean by that is this. If someone were to come up to you, and maybe it's in a grocery store, maybe it's in a, um, you're, you're in a waiting room in an office somewhere, doctor's office, you know, you can wait for hours there. Uh, maybe it's wherever it might be, you have a very limited amount of time, and they ask you the question, can you tell me exactly what it means to be a Christian and how I can become one? Can you tell me exactly what it means to be a Christian, and how can I become one? Now, if you were a, a hunter, you would say, that guy's a sitting duck, right? If you were a basketball player, you'd say, that's a slam dunk. If you were, uh, you know, um, taking a test, you would say, that's a no-brainer. It's like, man, this guy's, I mean, this, this dude is hot and ready, and l- let me go at it. I, just, I can't wait to share the message. But do we really respond that way? How would you respond? How, how, what would you say? Would you think to yourself, well, what am I going to say? What am I going to tell this person? And I don't know. Uh, what, what should I, where should I start? Where, where am I going to go with all this? And yet the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 that we should always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask us about the hope that we have in Christ, Right? But oftentimes when somebody comes and they really give us that slam dunk kind of question, we're really not sure how to go about it. We're really not sure what to say. And so oftentimes we just kind of back off because preparation, that is studying and thinking about your response to a question like that, is really what gives you confidence, right? So you, you, if you will prepare yourself and ready yourself and make yourself available, it is amazing how many times God might give you an individual coming across your pathway that's going to ask you a question, maybe not verbatim that question, but one very similar, and it's almost like a slam dunk. This person is wanting to know, what exactly does it mean to be a Christ follower, and how can I do that? And we want to be ready to answer, right? So the mission of God's people, as we've been studying the book of Acts, has always been to live so that the world would know that there is a God and a true God. And when Jesus came to earth to bring the good news of the kingdom of God, he chose disciples, he he raised them up, and he said to them, in essence, I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. I, I, I want you to continue on what I have begun about sharing the message of the kingdom of God, and oftentimes as believers, you know, when we first got saved, maybe you were just like all fired up, and you were all excited about sharing what Christ had done for you, and and maybe you did that for a while, but then over time that kind of goes away, and then you kind of lost all your Christian friends, and now you only are lost friends, now you only have Christian friends, and and if we're not careful, we end up engaging in almost like a subculture where we isolate ourselves from the world around us who are outside the kingdom of God, and we lose the passion, we lose the desire, we even lose the ability to respond to those who may have asked us a very similar question. When Jesus selected his disciples and commanded them to go out into the world, one of which was Asia Minor. And so remember, his disciples were what? They were not well-schooled guys. These guys did not, you know, graduate from rabbinical school. They were fishermen and tax collectors and those kinds of things. And Asia Minor was the most sophisticated, prosperous, immoral, perverted, educated, and religious, although pagan religion, a city and a region in the entire Roman Empire. But the Bible tells us, and we have studied through the book of Acts, that when these disciples began doing what Jesus asked them to do, That they impacted the region in such a manner that it was like an earthquake hit that region. Because Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And we oftentimes come along and say, But I don't want to fish, I don't like to fish. Look, this is not what I signed up for. I signed up, you know, to go to heaven. I signed up to be a, become a better person, a better parent, a better husband, or a better wife. Uh, after all, uh, you know, won't God just kind of sort all that out in the end? Is that really my responsibility? Is that really my calling? Is that really what I'm supposed to be engaged in as I journey through life? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I, I want to talk about why we have to keep sharing the message. Why we have to keep sharing the message. Because I know these kinds of conversations that we are asked to engage people in when it comes to conversations about what it means to be a follower of Christ and how you do that, I know those conversations can be very awkward, right? Very awkward. And um, oftentimes, because of the awkwardness, we just don't respond or we just kind of give an answer like, well, you know, the Bible says so. Uh, well, that's not a very good answer. Um, Jesus gave us an example of awkward conversations when he met the woman at the well in John chapter 4, right? So Jesus is a man. This is a woman. He is a Jew. She is a Samaritan, culturally speaking. Uh, they didn't get along, and he engages her in a conversation, and let's just face it, her home life was, you know, a bit um, awkward. Uh, she had had five husbands. The guy she's living with now is not her husband, and but Jesus he just kind of waded through the awkwardness and had the conversation with her about the good news of living water. And as a result of that awkward conversation, he dramatically impacted her life so much so that she ran back to her village and could not wait to tell everybody about how her life had been dramatically changed because now she was drinking not from a cistern that is empty, but from the well of living water found in Jesus Christ received Christ in your life and we couldn't wait to share that story but somewhere along the way we kind of dropped that here's my my big idea for today and it's on the top of your outline one short moment of discomfort could change someone's life forever people were Jesus's one thing and they still are today It's the only thing that we rub shoulders with on this earth that is eternal. People. Everything else we see, all the cars that we drive, all the houses that we live in, all the vacation spots that we venture to, are all temporary. One day this world as we know it will be burned up in fire and God will recreate what sin has destroyed and devastated. But people last forever, people are eternal people who are sick and people who are lonely and people who are wandering and people who are depressed and people who have gotten themselves tangled up in suffocating habits and destructive relationships god has given us the message of salvation sozo to save heal and deliver those who are ravaged by the results of sin that's our message and we must keep sharing the message but i want to i want to talk about first of all why we need to share that and, and the four weapons that Satan uses against us that keeps us from doing that. And the reason why we have to get the message out is because the message of salvation is not an intuitive message. In other words, uh, someone who's at, wondering to themselves, what does it mean to be a Christ follower and how can I do that? If they don't have somebody sharing them the message about why that's necessary, and how that can happen in your life, if they go out and just sit under a tree and try to figure that out on their own, they're never going to be able to do it. Why? Because the gospel message is wrapped around a historical event. It is not based upon just experience, in other words, if I've never had that experience and I'm trying to figure out, you know, why am I feeling this and, and why is my life such a wreck and a mess and why am, why am I wondering and thinking to myself, well, there's got to be more than this and there's got to be something after this life. And, of course, the Bible tells us that God has placed eternity in the hearts and lives of people and so they're wondering about these things, but if they're going to have to find out on their own how to navigate through that, they're not going to make it. What the end result's going to be is the same thing that every religion in the world has come up with. And the end result is, you know what? Uh, Yeah, there's there's sin. There's evil in the world. and, And there's a good God out there somewhere. And he's probably surrounded by good people. And therefore, if you're going to be In the vicinity of a good God, you had better be a really good person. So what do I need to become really good? Well, follow these laws and follow these rules and follow these rituals, and that will make you better than you are. And hopefully by the end of your life, you will be good enough to enter into the presence of a good, good God. It's all works. It's all how can I prop myself up? How can I make myself right in the eyes of God? And so we fish because our faith is rooted and grounded in history, and we don't know history until somebody tells us about it. And that's why the Bible says beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And so the weapons that Satan uses against us in order to discourage us from continuing in that endeavor to keep the passion alive, to keep the fires uh, burning in your heart, to be willing to engage in those kinds of conversations is what we find Paul bumping up against in the book of Acts in chapters 24 through 26. And so I want to kind of just kind of flesh out and my goal for this message as we talk about absolute surrender is that we would see and surrender afresh to the absolute priorities about telling others about Jesus and what he has done for them. If they're going to be saved, if they're going to experience God's freedom, if they're going to experience you know the tearing down of strongholds that have up to this point have directed and governed their lives, if they're going to experience truth that leads to freedom, then somebody's got to be sharing the message. And that's us, right? So that's what it means to be a fisher of men, a fisher of women, a fisher of children. That is the calling of the church of Jesus Christ. So here's the first weapon that Satan will use against you that will keep you from sharing the message. You got to keep sharing the message even when you are strongly opposed. And there will be some opposition that comes from those uh, who are not really um, that um, delighted in your message. You know, we just sang about the wonderful name of Jesus. And you can talk with people all day long about God, and you can talk to people all day long about spirituality, and you can talk to them all about, you know, the church, and, uh, you know, a lot of different things until you intersect the name of Jesus. Every time Paul, every time even the disciples before him interjected the name Jesus into the conversations, all of a sudden the conversation began to change, and it wasn't for the good right? And so the name of Jesus, that name under heaven whereby every person must be saved. There is no one who is saved apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have to bring to bear the message of Jesus into people's lives if they're going to experience true, authentic salvation. And as a result of bearing the name of Christ in that conversation, you may receive opposition when it comes to that name. And I'm going to kind of flesh out why that happens. But let's pick up in chapter 24. Remember, Paul had been taken before the Sanhedrin. They, they were making all kinds of accusations against the Apostle Paul, but their motives were they just really wanted to kill him, all right? And so they had a plot on how to do that. And remember the Sanhedrin council is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. Now normally these two groups did not get along until they came together for the Sanhedrin council. That's about the only time they could get along because the Pharisees believed in the supernatural. They believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees, on the other hand, did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angelic beings. They didn't believe in any of that stuff. And so when Paul is before the Sanhedrin, and he starts talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which he always brought to bear because that's an essential part of the gospel message. You know, the Pharisees were like, Yay, Paul! You remember, Paul was a Pharisee, a former Pharisee, and probably a former member of the Sanhedrin council. But the Sadducees were like, hey, we got to get rid of this guy. We're going to kill him. And so they come up with a plot. It did not pan out. And so when you come to chapter 24, it says, Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer, lawyer named Tertullius. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. And when Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. Now, uh, Felix, um, he got his job as a ruler, not because of his um, ability to rule, but simply because he was married uh, to the right person. He wasn't really qualified. Now, notice what, how this lawyer presents the case uh, to Felix. And he starts off, you know, kind of um, really just... Just Just laying it on thick, he says, "We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation everywhere in and every way. most excellent Felix. We acknowledge this will be th- with, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude, but in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind to hear us briefly. Now listen, under Felix, there was no peace. <laughs> Uh, There wasn't anything positive going on. In fact, by the end of this chapter, he gets fired from his position, and he's sent back to Rome. All right, so he's not a good leader, but he's just kind of laid on thick here because, after all, uh, their whole goal is to what? Is to take out Paul, all right? Their whole goal, the, the underlying motive of their method is that they want Paul off the scene. They don't like his message. And so they come forward again with another sham trial in opposition against uh, the Apostle Paul. And so here's what they said about Paul, verse 5. We found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. And he is the ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. And by examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. Now, how many of those charges were true? None. Not a one. Paul wasn't doing anything. You know when they arrested him, you know what he was doing? He was taking the offering that the churches has raised for the poor in Jerusalem, and he had taken that offering to the temple so that it could be distributed among the poor believers in the city of Jerusalem. That was his stirring up, right? So nothing they are saying has had any shred of truth. And so the Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things are true. So when the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accuser did not find me arguing with anyone of you the charges that are now being made against me. However, I admit that I did worship the God of our fathers, and uh, as a follower of the way, uh, a member of Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, and called a sect, I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written by the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both righteous and the wicked, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear. And so, again, Paul comes back with what? The resurrection? The resurrection? Pharisees would be like, great, we'll agree with you on that one, Paul. Sadducees like, "Eh, no, that's that's not it. And so um, verse 17, he says, after an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. And so there are some Jews in the province of Asia who ought to be here. In other words, the ones who brought the original accusations aren't even there. Uh, who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have any against me. Or those who are here should state what crime they found in me I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it is one thing, I shouted, I stood in their presence, and I said concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. So why is Paul being opposed? Because he's sharing the gospel. They're opposing the name of Jesus. They're opposing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the, that, that's the real opposition here. Remember that the Sanhedrin could not stand the fact that Jesus could still be alive. And the fact that there were people out there spreading those rumors, that, it, that for them that was, you know, that was blasphemy against God. It was a crime that was considered punishable by death. And so, uh, it is the same way today. Again, you can talk about a lot of different things, but when you bring um, the name of Jesus into the conversation, all of a sudden, the conversation is very, um, very different. And it says, then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he says, I will decide your case. So, here's kind of a side note. Turn opposition into an opportunity. Every time Paul was opposed... He turned the opposition into the opportunity to share the message. You notice that about him? It's incredible. So, in spite of the fact that they're bringing charges against him, they are trumped up charges, they really have no validity whatsoever. He still uses that as an opportunity, as a springboard to keep sharing the message. What is the message he continually shares? Paul continually shares two things, his faith story and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is always wrapped around both the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ because that is the essence of the gospel, Jesus in our place, who rose from the dead to authenticate who he was and the message he came to bring to bear upon the world as the savior of the world. And so, um, listen, I, I just know through conversations with people, uh, things start off very well a lot of times with people, and you get into the conversation. God opens up a door of opportunity to begin sharing about Jesus. Here's what I know about the world. Here's what you know about the world that God had a design for the world. And whenever we choose as human beings to live outside of that design, which is the natural bent of our, our hearts, when we choose to live outside of that design, it is sin. Sin always leads to brokenness. Brokenness always leads to coping mechanisms, and those coping mechanisms are the habits that entrap us, bad relationships, a lot of different things, and everywhere you go, you are rubbing shoulders with people who are feeling the effects of their sin. They may not call it that. They may not acknowledge that, but that is exactly what is happening. So what is the cure-all for our sin problem, Jesus, he's the only cure, right? He's the only name under heaven by which we are saved, by which we receive the forgiveness of our sins, where we receive the person of the Holy Spirit within us who enables us to walk in truth and freedom from, those, from the brokenness that is within us. So Jesus, the name Jesus always has to come into the conversation. And at that moment, you may receive pushback, you may receive some opposition, but just look at it as an opportunity. You're sharing Christ, regardless of how much of that you may get to share. You may say, well, Greg, that's not my problem. I don't care if people push back. I don't care if they disagree with me. My problem is not opposition. No, my problem is, um, man, I've been, I've been sharing with people for a long, long time, but it just seems like nothing changes. Like, like I've been inviting people to church for a long time in my family. I've been, you know, giving them books to read. I've been giving them tapes to read. I've, I've been encouraging them to listen to podcasts. And I've been doing a lot of things with my family for a long, long time because I want to see them come to faith in Jesus. But it just doesn't seem to be changing anything in their lives. And quite frankly, I just want to give up. Well, welcome to Humanity. Because we have to keep sharing the message, even when nothing seems to be changing, even when nothing seems to be changing, and so again we pull out of the Apostle Paul in this experience. All right, so he's he's here before Felix, and you'll notice what it says uh, in verse uh, 22. It says Felix, you know, was well acquainted with the way during the proceedings, waiting for Lysias. Verse 24, it says, Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. And uh, he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about his faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, Felix was afraid. It's like, oh, you know, he's like under conviction. That's enough for now. You may leave. And when I find a more convenient time, I will send for you. And at the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. And so how many years did this go on? When two years passed, for two years, Paul is talking with Felix. Paul is talking with Drusilla, and he's sharing about Christ, right? He says, really, the threefold message that he has, he he talks about... um, the discourse about righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come. And so Paul is in prison. Uh, people are, are helping him and bringing him. And so as Paul is in prison uh, later on, uh, you know he's kind of like in house arrest kind of thing. And, and so what is he doing? Well, uh, he's in change, but he's sharing with, with Priscilla with Felix and Drusilla and Drusilla is the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa the first and the sister of Herod Agrippa the second which is the Herod we're going to read about in these chapters and so Paul's three points righteousness and what would Paul say back in the book of Romans none are righteous No, not one, right? There's no one who is righteous before God. There is, you know, God has a standard. Everyone has broken it. Here's the only way that you can be right with God. You must have a righteousness that is not your own. You must have a righteousness that can only come through his son, Jesus Christ. I can imagine, you know, we just don't, we don't have the full message here. We just got a snippet of the three points that Paul was making. But you can imagine how long Paul expounded on this fact that, listen, there is absolutely nothing that you and I can do to make ourselves right in the sight of God. There's no amount of works, there's no amount of forgiveness, we cannot provide for the payment of our sin, and Paul would just probably go on and on. And what is self-control? What's the the thing about self-control? Well, self-control is the ability or lack thereof to control yourself, Right? So, Paul knows, as you and I know, humanity is filled with passions. We have all kinds of passions. And some of those passions get out of control because we have no ability to control them on our own. So, what is a fruit of the Spirit? A fruit of the Spirit is what? Self control. God giving us the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to control passions that we cannot control on our own, but get out of control. And when they get out of control, All kinds of bad things happened. Here's what I know about most of the rulers in the Roman Empire. If you go back and read Roman history, they had a lot of passions that were way out of control, and I'm going to keep this rated G, but I could make it triple X. The kinds of things they would do sexually to people and, and the things that happened in the Roman Empire among the leaders was absolutely heartbreaking. And man, if they didn't like it, they'd throw you off a cliff. They, they had no morals about this stuff. And so, man, Paul is like hammering away, you know, these passions are ruling over you. There's no law you can keep that's going to make you good enough. And about the coming judgment, the fact that we are all going to give an account to God for our lives. One of the things that has dropped out of the vocabulary of most Christians is the, is the, the word hell, right? So here's what Paul would say, listen, uh, Felix, um, you, you are, you can't, you're not righteous, man. You can't do this on your own. You know your passions are out of control. And one day, you're going to stand before God, and you're going to have to give an account for your life. And there are only one or two ways you can go. There is heaven, and there is hell. Wow, you talk about an awkward conversation but for 2 years Paul's going over and over as he would send for him of course he his motive is just get Paul to give him some money and so Felix, notice he was alarmed. He was convicted. I mean, you, you, it's like, wow, all of a sudden he's under conviction. I, I think Paul got his hopes up and thinking, you know what? The guy's going to get saved. He's going to get saved. He's going to give his life to Jesus. He's going to be a powerhouse right here in the Roman Empire. He's going to start infiltrating into the Roman council. Um, this is going to be incredible. This is gonna, and so like Paul's loading up the sinner's prayer. It's going to happen any day, but it never happens. But Paul never Gives up even though nothing is changing. And so it is an encouragement to us to know that. Sometimes you speak, sometimes you talk, sometimes you, you try to help people over and over and over again, and you know, you've invited them to church many times, and, and they promise you, I'll be there Sunday, and you wait for them in the foyer, but they never show up, and uh, you know, again, you give them books, you give them tapes, you give them everything, you, you have conversations with them for years, but nothing seems to be changing, and is it not true that it's very easy to get discouraged. Even churches can be on fire for the Lord, and with passionate hearts, sharing the gospel with a lot of people week in and week out, but it just doesn't seem to be making a difference. Nothing seems to be changing in that person's life, and Satan just comes along and says, why are you? Why, why, don't you just like, sit back, take it easy, go to church, do your thing, hang out with your Christian friends, and just like, let life go on. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. I wonder what would have happened to my mother had I left her alone. 25 years of not leaving her alone. Whether it came through me, my wife, my mother in law, my children. One of the turning points in my mother's life when she came to faith in Christ is because my mother in law wrote her a letter. I never had, was privileged to read that letter, but I do know some of its content. And a part of it was about you know what? If you want to see your son in eternity, here's the way it happens. And let me just also offer this word of encouragement also. Sometimes you might be used of God to bring the good news of the gospel into somebody's life for years. And you don't see any change. And you think, you know what? I'm giving up. But it just might be that God takes that individual and hands them off to somebody else. And they get to see the harvest of all the watering and the planting and everything that you were doing in their lives. For four years, I witnessed to a butcher that I worked for while I was in college. His name was Norman. And Norman just would not budge. He was a very well-read man, a religious man, but he was a lost man. For four years, I shared with him over and over and over again and I never got to see the harvest. But I did run into my former boss who owned the, the store, and Norman did finally come to faith in Christ, but it was under the hand of somebody else. You just never know. Number three, keep sharing the message even when you have shared it before. Even when you have shared it before. When we come to chapter 25, um, you know, Felix is, uh, yeah, he wanted to grant favor to the Jews, and so he leaves Paul in prison. and three days after arriving in the province, Festus, you know, Felix gets fired. Festus is now the new uh, the, the new ruler, went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priest and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem for they were preparing to ambush to kill him along the way. Now, for two years, right? does this not say something about the hatred of the human heart? I mean, years have passed by now, and these guys are still so fired up and, and so hate Paul, they still, man, all they want to do is like take him off the scene, right? Get rid of this guy. We can't have this anymore. And so, you know, if you, you got the name Festus, what do you think about? Gunsmoke, right? Okay, I'm sorry. I had to throw that in there. Uh, and so here comes Paul. Here we go all over again. Now, Paul, you know, when Paul gets to Jerusalem, things are pretty, pretty hairy. Um, this is about 5960 AD. This is only like six or seven years out from when the Jews are going to revolt against the Romans and the Roman armies are going to storm into Jerusalem and they're going to kill thousands and thousands of people. They're going to level the city and and destroy the temple. Now all this is going to take place in just a few short years. And so uh, Caesar Nero, he appoints Festus as the Judean governor governor and it seems like Paul is going through the same things over and over again as in the last six chapters and he reminds us that that's just kind of the way life is right everywhere you go life is just kind of like sometimes the same thing over and over again and so they're wanting Paul transferred down to Jerusalem and at this time I mean there's just a lot of things going on so you know Festus answered Uh, And it says, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come to me and press charges against the man if if he's done anything wrong. And so they do, right? They head down to Caesarea. They're going to go through another trial with the apostle Paul. And so the Jews get there from Jerusalem in verse 7, and they bring many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. And then verse 8, Paul made his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do for the Jew a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before there on these charges? And Paul answers, I'm standing before you right now and, and where I ought to be tried. I have not done anything wrong and the Jews know this. And if, however, I am guilty of doing any, this is a pretty bold statement, deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me, these Jews are not true. No one has the right to hand me over to them. And so in other words, Paul says, listen, I'm tired of the sham trials with the, with the Sanhedrin and with Felix, and now I stand again, and therefore I do not trust the courts of the Sanhedrin. I'm appealing to the Roman court. I'm appealing to Caesar. And so to Caesar, uh, he will go. Festus conferred with his council. In other words, like, are we allowed to do this? Is this okay? And so you've appealed to Caesar, so to Caesar uh, you are going to go. And then if that weren't enough, he's about to make this big move. And so now Festus, he's consulting now King Agrippa. And this is King Agrippa II and Bernice. you notice in verse 13, they arrived to Caesarea to pay their respects uh, to Festus, who is now um, the governor of that region. Now, um, Herod, anytime you have Herod in front of your name, you're a bad dude, all right? You kill people for living. Like, you know, it's just not going to be a good thing. Herod Agrippa II is the last Herod of that dynasty. And you'll notice that um, Herod Agrippa I, remember he died in Acts chapter 12? How did he die? Right? Got eaten with worms. <laughs> uh, and so Bernice, the Jewish, that's, she's the sister of King Agrippa and the sister, older sister of Drusilla, the wife of Felix. Right? And so, um, so basically, um, this is Herod Agrippa II's sister. They had a very, let me just say, they had a very strange relationship. Uh, okay, I'll leave it at that. And uh, yeah, and so that went on for many, many years until she finally went back to Rome and, and hooked up with another Roman leader. And so, Paul is going to go through this whole thing again. All right. So, um, Festus dis- d- discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There's a man whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, chief priests and elders, and they-, they had charges against him, I told him that it's not the Roman custom to hand over any man, this is verse 16, who has faced his accusers and to defend himself against their charges. When his accusers got to- up to speak, um, they did not charge him with any crimes as expected, instead had some point of disputes and about their things. So here is Paul before Agrippa, and I'm just going to summarize the rest of the... So what's Paul going to do? What do you think Paul's going to do? He's going to share his faith story, right? He's going to go all the way back to the road to Damascus, and he's going to say, listen, uh, <clears throat> you can bring anything against me you want. I'm, I'm not guilty of any of these charges. Here's my stance theologically, and here's my faith story, and this is how it all happened. And by the way, uh, let me tell you about Jesus and about his resurrection. And he shares not only his faith story, but he shares the gospel with uh, Agrippa. And so, um, you know, and this happens in chapter 26 where, when he is given uh, permission uh, to speak. And so my point is that you, uh, my sub and in this is into a testimony, right? So turn your trial into a testimony because uh, God has given you a platform. Uh, Sometimes, you know, people are asking you questions and they are challenging your faith and they're challenging you in different ways. Uh, Look at that trial not as something that is being done against you or maybe somebody is challenging you personally as a follower of Christ, I don't understand it. Why would you do that? Why would you be that way? Or they've already labeled you. Uh, Oh, you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, That means you're judgmental. That means you're narrow-minded. Oh, that means that you are, and they can give you a thousand different labels. Listen, you just keep sharing the message. Stay on point with the message It doesn't matter to me what people say about me. It doesn't matter to me what opposition I might face, what insults they may level against me because I'm a pastor, and they, you know, that already gets you a bunch of labels that, that may or may not be true. It's the fact is I just keep sharing the message. And why do I keep sharing the message? Because the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not an intuitive message, but it is a message that leads to the salvation of people's souls so that God can transfer them out of the the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son so that they can experience having the clothing of the righteousness of Christ standing before God, holy and pure in his sight to have a relationship with the God who created them so that they can walk not only in the freedom of their forgiveness, but the freedom of their healing and the freedom of their deliverance. Now here's why there's the freedom of deliverance, because as Paul enters into thank you, as Paul enters into this, look you've got to keep sharing the message. Notice what it says as he's unfolding his case up in chapter twenty six and verse seventeen I will rescue this is Jesus speaking uh, red letter, right Jesus speaking to Paul. listen to what Paul said i will Jesus said to Paul, I will res-, he's given his testimony, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Please note that phrase, from the power of Satan to God. If you read Paul's writings while he was in prison, he talks about the faith fact that all of un. Redeemed humanity is under the power and the control of the evil one, and the only way they can remove themselves from that is through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit who sets them free from the evil one and his control over them. All right? So, this is what this is what growing that Saint Christ is all about. Is I just keep dismantling all of those thought processes that Satan had placed in my thinking patterns that were lie-based and controlling me, and and uh, yeah, I mean, just the things that, are, the hurt and the pain that we harbor in our hearts, and it's just amazing to me that so many believers, you get saved, and you know, we, we just like, man, Jesus saved me, and, and God forgave me of all my sins, but then we just like, we conceal all the hurt and all the mess and all the habits and all the hang-ups when God wants to set you free from that and bring healing in your life, and then all of a sudden, we're like, Back away and like, well, but it's nobody's business, and I don't want to open up and I don't want to share. I don't want people to think less of me. Listen, ain't nobody in this church gonna think less of you because of your messiness. We're all a big mess. We all need healing, and it's just the areas that we need healed in. So my, my my concern is whether or not you are willing to step up to the plate and say, you know what, God, I don't understand it. I'm dealing with this physical ailment in my life. I don't believe the physical ailment is the problem. I think there is a spiritual issue that's leading to the physical ailment. I need to get to the spiritual issue and then I'll receive the healing in the physical side of life. So rather than hiding it and rather than concealing it, bring it out in the open. Let the Spirit of God give you truth and replace the lie-based thinking and see what God can do. I'm going to tell you, we're going to have people standing up here on November 4th giving testimony about how God has dramatically changed their life because they were willing to get open and honest about their brokenness. And God can heal it. And sometimes it it comes from an area uh, that you never thought was possible. Okay, I'm going to leave that because I've got somebody, I'm going to have share that, yeah, it's going to be good. Here's the last one. Keep sharing the message even when you're personally ridiculed. And so it says in verse 19, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision of heaven, First, to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. And so, man, he just goes on and he shares about, and then King Agrippa is like, in verse 27, King Agrippa says, do you believe, King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? <laughs> Paul says, man, short time or long, I pray that God will not only... You, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. You see, with incredible discovery comes incredible responsibility. So let me close uh, with two thoughts for you. Well, I'm out of of time. Let me just close with one thought. Here's why I believe really why we stop sharing the message. It's because we, we become hardened in our hearts. And here's how this happens, is that we, we at the core, um, we have expectations, and we put expectations on God, and when God doesn't live up to our expectations, I mean, think about this. All the stuff that happened to Paul, the beatings, um, you know, just all the stuff, left for dead, I mean, floggings, all that stuff. Don't you suppose Paul could have come really hard in his heart and said, God, you know, if you really love me, man, why is this stuff happening to me? And and it would have been very easy for the apostle Paul, I believe, um, to say, you know what, Um, man, I... I'd like to have love and compassion, but because of what has been done to me, and God, what you have allowed to be done to me, I'm a little bitter. This ain't happened to nobody else around me. Not like this. And so I think that sometimes as followers of Christ, um, things happen to us, and there are many reasons we harden our heart towards God But I think one of the reasons is because we are angry with God, because we have this unwritten list against God, because God allowed certain things to happen to us. He's allowed certain things to enter into our lives, which we deem unfair, and, uh, you know, I didn't sign up for this, and it shouldn't happen this way, and, and, you know, how many people... And I've told you before, most people become atheists because... You know, they, they had an expectation of God. God didn't live it up to the expectation. There's some kind of trauma in their life. And there's like, you know what? There can't be a God. And this happens to God's people all the time. It's kind of like marriage relationship. It is not uncommon to minister to men and women who do not have a love for their spouse any longer because there's hardness in their heart. And that hardness is not built like overnight. It's little things over time. And so the heart just begins to die a little bit at a time. The heart becomes hardened, more hardened towards your spouse. And then all of a sudden, the loving feelings are gone. You can't find them anymore. And therefore, in, you know, in, there's no intimacy anymore. You conclude, you come to the conclusion, well, I've married the wrong person. That's the problem. I just married the wrong person. If I married the right person, if I found my soulmate, this would have never happened to me. So the question is... Uh, what could your spouse do to win back your love? If you had to ask that person, what, 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 what does your spouse need to do to win back your love? And you hear responses like, well, I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, some people, like, they could give you a list uh, of things that would fill up reams of paper, uh, notebooks. Uh, these are things I think they owe me, heart. Here's my point, is that you've got to lay down the conditions that you have set in your heart for your spouse to meet, right? So you, you want to you rekindle the love? You, you got to lay down the conditions you set for them, and you got to say, you know what? I'm forgiving. I, I'm 100%. I'm forgiving. Uh, I'm, I'm giving my heart back to my spouse, and I'm going to let God grow that love. This is the same thing in our relationship with God, is that I've seen so many people You know, you get hurt by somebody or God allows something and and deep in our hearts, we may not admit it, we may not even want to acknowledge it, but we're angry with God, we are frustrated with God, we are bitter towards God and we've just kind of shut our hearts off and therefore the love of God, the compassion of God has all but died and therefore I'm not going to share the message because after all, quite frankly, I'm angry with God. And until he and then you list off what it is you think God owes you, when he does those things, then I might open my heart back up. Now I want you to bow your heads for a moment. Because I want to walk you through a prayer. Because unconditional love is what God called you to. And if you add anything other than unconditional love, whether it's towards somebody else or God himself, that's a contradiction of who God made you to be. And so many Christians do the same thing to God that they did in their relationships, even though they knew their heart in their heart they, they don't have a right to hold anything against God. And so here's here's a step of action. It is a prayer. It is simply a prayer that says, Father, and maybe you need to pray this in your heart this morning. Father, I'm willingly laying my laying down, I'm willingly. I'm willing, I willingly lay down, lay down on your altar all the conditions that I was, I was expecting you to meet. I choose by an act of my will to give you 100% of my heart to you from this day forward. I will be your servant and you will be my God. In Jesus' name. You see, this is the same way that you restore your relationship with a spouse, a friend, anyone else you're harboring things against. You want to soften up your heart? You want to love again? You want to feel again? You want to have the compassion that's going to drive you in sharing the message? You got to lay it on the altar you've got to give it up you've got to let God bring healing back into your heart and so one of the things that we can do is choose to get our hearts right and then live as 3D Christians And what I simply mean by that is you develop friendships you discover their stories and everybody has a story and it's gonna be a story about brokenness. And then you just discern what's the next step I should take with this person. Should I just invite them to church? Should I just give them a book to read? My wife and I give people books to read all the time. They're going through something. We we know a good book that just really speaks to that issue. Here, read this and we'll talk about it. What is your next step with them? Keep sharing the message. Nothing may be changing immediately. It seems like you're hitting a brick wall, like you're not making any headway in their life. It might be an awkward conversation. Maybe you've said it a thousand times before, and you're thinking to yourself, it's falling on deaf ears. Just keep sharing the message and leave all the results to God himself so let's stand together we're closing out our time Um, you know we have a a part of our prayer team here and maybe there's something issues in your heart that you needed to to deal with today and uh, they'd love to pray with you and when we sing if you'll just come forward they'll take you off to another room Uh, they'll not embarrass you in any way shape or form I just want to challenge us Man, until our hearts are right, we'll not share the message. I guarantee you that. We will not share the message. We will give up. We will step back. Watch this. We'll choose to live in a Christian subculture, and then we will criticize those outside the kingdom of God for their attitudes, their actions, and their behaviors. When we've really been called to take the love of Jesus and to share the message of Jesus... Because only Jesus can change their heart. Only Jesus can change their life. Only Jesus can make them a new creation in Christ. That's our calling. That's what God challenges us to do. Day in and day out. So if you need to come, you come as we sing. do oh. it all down before you thank you that you are the one who brings to us newness of life hope, healing you bring restoration and so we thank you for the message that you have allowed us the privilege of being a part of and now the privilege of sharing it with others so God may you bless your church this week as we are open to the opportunities that the spirit would give to us to answer the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, and how how can I become one? In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you back next Sunday.